Hello, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Better, the podcast that's dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I am the host of this year's show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 19, Losing Weight Through Science. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast someone who has changed the way I think of food. Someone who, after you hear him speak, I think will change how you think about food too. Michael Greger is the founder of NutritionFacts.org, a nonprofit organization which pours through all of the latest nutritional science conducted every year to separate what actually works from the BS. And Michael is the author of the mega best-selling book, How Not to Die, a book that talks about what we should be eating to live a longer life. And now he's the author of How Not to Diet, which came out a week ago. I got an advanced copy, and it's the best book on food that I've ever read, apart from How Not to Die. Um, How Not to Diet looks at all of the scientific research conducted on weight loss that has been conducted to date in order to summarize what works and what doesn't in one pretty package that that is the book. Uh, but here's what I love about Michael. He has no agenda, but he also has no profit motive, uh, unlike pretty much every other dieting book out there. He donates all the money from his books and his lectures and his DVDs to charity. And he really does put science before everything else. And so it is with great pleasure that I get to welcome to the podcast, the author of How Not to Diet and How Not to Die, Michael Greger. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to have you. sound energetic, even though you do so many interviews. Some Something must be going well for you in terms of what you put into your body. Oh, it's a healthy diet. It'll work every time. <laughs> yeah. So I have to come clean here, Michael. Uh, I'm Or Dr. Greger, I should say. I, I'm not a big fan of dieting books, and perhaps a few of the folks listening today might also fall into that category. But when I heard that you... We're writing a book on the science of weight loss. I instantly got excited because of the approach you take. I was wondering if you could let listeners in on what your process looked like for writing How Not to Diet. Yeah, well, it turns out there's about a half a million uh, papers published in the peer-reviewed medical literature, English language, uh, peer-reviewed scientific literature, on, on obesity, on weight loss. Um, so it's just a matter of taking my team and churning through it. I mean, so it's basically, I mean, you know, just so sick and tired of the nutritional nonsense that comes out of the diet industry, you know, feeding us this just endless parade of uh, quick fix fads that, you know, always sell because they always fail. Yeah, but re- repeat customers are basically the whole business business model. Yet people, you know, just line right back up to be fooled again. So that's why you really have to stick to the science. So my uh, the goal was to create this kind of ultimate evidence-based diet book what a concept um and so i mean it's just got thousands of references from the peer-reviewed medical literature i just wanted to find every possible you know tip trick tweak technique uh, you know to, to you know proven to accelerate the loss of body fat to give people every possible advantage um and you know build kind of a weight uh, the optimal weight loss diet from the ground up so you talk about in the book just how big of a problem obesity has become. You, you write, uh, quote, it's the, the leading cause of death in America is the American diet, uh, end quote. So in looking through the research out there, why do you think it's become the epidemic that it has? Why is it, is it our fault? Is it the way we're wired? Is it a normal response? 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that's according to the Global Burden of Disease Study. This largest study of disease risk factors in history, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, found that uh, the American diet, number one cause of death, so kills more people than smoking. Uh, cigarettes only kill about a half million Americans every year, whereas our diet um, kills many more. Um, and so how did we get to this place? We got to this place um, because um, unhealthy food is, is more profitable, basically. Mm. Um, and so, you know, uh, you, know, go, uh, you know, produce goes bad. It's like the worst thing to sell, right? Mm. Um, there's no profit margin. You can't brand your product. You know, you're never going to see an ad on the, the Super Bowl ad for sweet potatoes or something. <laughs> um, I mean, even a broccoli grower is not going to put an ad on TV for broccoli because you'll just buy their competitor's broccoli. Like there's just no incentive. The system is just not set up to support healthy food. I mean, what you want is a snack cake that lasts for a few you know, weeks on the shelf. Now, that you can make some money because dirt cheap ingredients, right? Because we subsidize as taxpayers, we subsidize the sugar industry um, to make cheap animal feed for you know dollar menu meat, yeah. um, and so um, uh, you know if you want to make money, you 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 uh, you know like the, the 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 head of Coca Cola doesn't sit around you know rubbing their hands together th- thinking you know how they can make uh, Americans' children obese. They sit around thinking how can I satisfy my shareholders in the next quarterly returns, and how you do that. Is you sell, you know, brown sugar water for, you know, a, a buck a bottle and it's like, what, a few cents of, of, you know, dirt cheap ingredients like, you know, corn syrup, which again, we subsidize to be artificially cheap um, to make us unhealthy. I mean, so, uh, so it just so happens that like the, you know, the least healthy foods are the most profitable. And so that's where the money is mm. for ads, for, you know, uh, promotion. Um, and that's where the money is to, um, you know, to pour into our political system to prevent, um, uh, you know, changes that would improve the health of our society. Yeah. Yeah, th- th- that's what I that's what I love about the book. One of one of the many things I love about it is it doesn't have some conspiratorial tone to it thing. Oh, it's the corporations just trying to wring our health out of us so they can make a quick buck. It really just is that the incentives are misaligned. And, and you do chat, you know, starting with the science and working backwards to what we should be doing differently on a daily basis. You offer up a few things that we should look out for in our diet. Uh, One of them being fiber-rich foods. One of the quotes that I pulled is, quote, telling people to increase their intakes of fiber-rich foods may actually be one of the single most effective pieces of advice for weight loss. So why is, why, what makes fiber so amazing? Oh, oh boy. Yeah, this is a, this is a four-hour interview right there. Um, but, uh, I mean, the, 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 the short answer, I mean, it's the easy answer you can imagine. So it adds uh, bulk and weight to foods without adding calories. Mm. Um, and so it decreases the caloric density of foods. Um, so the difference between an apple, for example, and apple juice is basically the fiber. And, but you can imagine how much longer and how much more filling it would take to eat an apple than just to drink some, um, some juice down. Yeah. Um, the, and the uh, fiber also traps um, and dilutes the calories, flushes them out the other end. So if you basically eat a high-fiber diet, you can basically discount the calorie count of any food. So eating like a Twinkie on a high-fiber diet, you actually absorb fewer Twinkie calories. I mean, the, the, I mean you only absorb um, nutrients, calories, uh, at the gut wall 
Um, and so uh, if there's a, a mass of fiber, there's calories, there's fat calories, protein calories, carbohydrate calories trapped in that mass of gelled fiber that goes all the way through you. If you eat fiber-depleted foods, well, then it all gets absorbed very high up in the small intestine. There's very little left to feed our good gut bacteria, which are fed by fiber. That's another mechanism. Fiber-resistant starch found concentrated in whole grains and legumes like beans, peas, chickpeas, and lentils. Feed These are prebiotics that feed our good gut flora, which then create these compounds we feed them, they feed us right back with these short-chain fatty acids that actually decrease our appetite, have all sorts of beneficial um, anti-inflammatory effects uh, throughout the body. Um, uh, these are just, uh, uh, then there's the ileal break. Uh, so basically the ileum, the last part of the small intestine, um, when it detects calories that far down, um, that's a signal to our body that we are full from stem to stern. It should dial down our appetite. And we can do that by having fiber drag those calories down there. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, uh, of course what the, what the what the what the, the the medical community did with this information is to do what's called the um, did you know ileal bypass where they basically cut out twenty feet of intestines um, so we could so regardless of what you eat you could get calories um, straight down to the small to the end of the intestine is one of the blots on the history of surgery um, thousands of people tens of thousands of people went through the surgery before we realized that. Significant percentage of those all of a sudden um, went on to suffer um, uh, severe liver scarring. Mm. Um, and so better to just eat the way nature intended. Yeah. yeah. I hope the makers of the Twinkie don't listen to this podcast because I can only imagine, you know, uh, Twinkies with psyllium husk added to them for, ah! for extra, <laughs> extra fewer calorie Twinkies. Uh, he also talked about the water content of food, how that matters quite a bit, especially with regard to, to f- how full we are. So why does water matter so much? And h- how can we tell what foods add more water? We can't, j- can we just look at them and uh, squeeze them? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so water is actually the most satiating nutrient. So there's a wow. famous study where they just gave people, um, uh, you know, the same number of calories of various foods um, and saw w- which is more satiating. So you might think, oh, well, high-fiber foods, high-protein foods um, would be more satiating. And, you know, high-fat foods might be less satiating just because it, it's a very calorie-dense, a lot of calories packed in a small space or volume. Um, but it turns out, no. I mean, the single uh, best predictor of satiety for a particular food is how much water it contains. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, part of the reason is because, again, it adds bulk and weight without adding calories. So there's some vegetables, for example, that are more than 90% uh, uh, um, water by weight. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, I mean, it basically, it's just water in vegetable form, right? But if you ate, mm. you, so, I mean, you eating pounds of these vegetables, you're eating pounds of water, basically, which is, of course, calorie-free. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, but it only works with trapped water. You can't just eat a steak and drink a glass of water <laughs> because um, the, there's, a sieving, there's a sieving process where the water just drains right out of your stomach. But when the water is trapped inside um, cell walls, when you eat um, whole plant foods, particularly fruits and vegetables, which are the most watery uh, foods um, that we eat, um, the the water's trapped in this kind of gelled mass mm. and can't be easily sieved out of the stomach and 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 has this long gastric emptying time so we feel fuller longer um, and so fruits and vegetables are the most um, uh, water containing uh, so uh, most uh, vegetables are in the 90s in terms of percentage water most fruits are in the 80s uh, most um, whole grains and legumes um, are in the 70s so like 70 percent 
of, uh, you know, uh, beans whole and cooked whole grains is water, uh, is pure water. Um, but then you go down uh, and then animal foods uh, f- uh, fall down kind of the 50s and 60s. And then the snack foods like potato chips, um, things are down kind of the teens um, and uh, are least satiating. But that's great if you're a potato chip manufacturer because you want to have people not eat just one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so on top of fiber and water, you talk about ma- many different other features of an optimal diet for weight loss, everything from low in meat to low in glycemic load to rich in legumes. There, there's the challenge of, of a quick 30-minute conversation. There's just so much in this book that's impossible to cover in a short interview. Uh, but if you had to highlight just one or two uh, more features of a good diet that you talk about in the book, which ones do you think would be worth highlighting that that somebody can do right away to change the way they eat in a more healthful way? Well, one way you can do um, uh, a bunch at a time is to eat real foods that, you know, real food that grows out of the ground. Um, and the pounds should really come off naturally because an effective weight loss diet is, for example, an anti-inflammatory diet, right? Given the role we know that inflammatory damage to the appetite-regulating circuits in the brain is playing the obesity epidemic. It's a diet free of habit-forming, ultra-processed foods, uh, free of uh, so-called obesogenic pollutants, these endocrine-disrupting chemicals in certain foods and plastics that can uh, affect our hormonal balance. Uh, a diet uh, we talked about being fiber-rich, um, but um, uh, we also want it to be low in added fat, sugar, meat, salt, and refined grains, mm. low in uh, calorie density. You know, some foods just have more calories per cup, per pound, per mouthful than others. Uh, low glycemic load, low insulin index, um, rich in prebiotics to, to cultivate a slimming microbiome. And you look, each of these factors alone, like just cutting out added sugars or something, could uh, help people lose weight. But you put them all together in a diet centered around whole plant foods, whole intact plant foods, and that's um, really the most effective diet for weight loss. Hmm. Interesting. One study reference in the book that might be worth pairing this advice with is that the Hawaiian study that let people eat unlimited uh, quantities of fruit, vegetable, whole grains, and beans for 21 days. Um, what what lessons can we take from that study in particular in terms of how much we like to eat every day in terms of quantity, but also in terms of weight loss? Yeah, no. So, uh, yeah. So this is a study. So, I mean, um, for, I mean, restrict, uh, I mean, if you restrict people's diets, um, you know, you cut down the amount of food people eat. You can, you know, lock someone in a closet or something. You can force them to lose as much food as you want, as much, you know, weight as you want. Um, but that's not sustainable. So, you know, there's all these like, uh, you know, slim fast and other kind of like, you know, um, uh, these kind of short-term fixes where you're dramatically reducing the calories in your diet. But, um, you know, as soon as you start eating normally, the you know, it'll all come flooding back. So it's just not sustainable. People can go hungry for a little while. They can kind of white knuckle it. But eventually hunger works out. Um, hunger wins out. And yeah. you start eating more. You can't just live your life. Um, most people can't live their life um, feeling hungry. So that's why um, the typical approach, this calorie cut, this calorie counting, portion control, eating smaller amounts of food rather than improving the quality of food, um, uh, is so often fails, which is great for the diet industry, but not so great for individuals. And so um, uh, instead of uh, cutting down the quantity of people's foods, if you just increase the quality by saying, look, no, 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 eat all you want. You need ad libitum, meaning you can, uh, no portion control, no calorie counting, eat as much as you um, care to, but eat healthy foods. 
right? So eat all the fruit you want. Eat all the vegetables you want. Eat all the whole grains you want. Eat all the, you know, uh, the beans you want. Um, uh, and, uh, and so when they did this, so for example, that study, 21 days, people lost an average of 17 pounds in 21 days. And they were eating more food. Um, so their, they, their calories were cut, I forget, I think like by 40%, but not because they were eating less food. They actually ate more food than they were eating before, but wow, they lost this huge amount of weight in a very short amount of time because they were eating these what would appear to be severely calorie-restricted uh, diets, but they didn't certainly feel that way. Boy, they were packed to the gills. Um, and so research shows that you can cut um, people's calorie intake in half. Um, uh, uh, you know, so you can cut like a thousand calories out of people's diets they don't even notice. If you have people eating these low-calorie density foods, uh, fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains. This is this is one of the other things I love about the book is what one quote that that I have right here that I pulled is uh, sustainable weight loss is not about eating less food. It's about eating better food. And one example I remember you giving is, uh, you know, eating 240 calories worth of carrots would take yeah. you more than two and a half hours of constant chewing in order to, to extract all the calories from that. And so that's one of the great things about the book is how it shifts the spotlight away from, okay, only eat high fat things to not just, you know, focus on the things that science says you should eat. Um, and another thing that comes through in the book is how not all hours of the day are created equal for how our body processes food, um, and, you know, calories in the morning versus calories in the evening. Could you talk a bit about that as well? That is crazy. I know. Yeah. That, I mean, that's one of the most uh, fascinating things for me personally in the book was my chapter on chronobiology. Um, the, the fact that how powerful our circadian rhythms can have on so many aspects of different health. So, I mean, the original, I had known about these chronotherapeutics where basically you give chemotherapy at a different time and it can be more effective and have fewer, um, fewer side effects. The exact same dose, exact same chemo, different time of day, different results. And that's wild. So finally, this has moved into the field of chronoprevention, saying, well, wait a second. If, you know, drugs, these therapies at different times have different effects, what about timing of exercise? What about timing of meals? And what they found is that the exact same snack at night, for example, um, uh, um, cause you to put on more body fat than the exact same snack earlier in the day. The same number of calories in the morning is less fattening than the exact same number of calories in the evening. The same foods, different time of day, different effect. That's why we should front load our calories towards the beginning of the day, ideally making the morning meal or at least the afternoon meal the biggest meal of the day, um, not eat after 7 p.m., um, uh, and it's because our body's better able to handle um, uh, calories um, uh, earlier in the day. Mm. That's it, it's incredible the little nuggets and and you mention so many different fat boosters in the book. People will have to pick it up in order to to uncover what those are. Listen, I love your work, but the biggest fan of yours that I know. Mr. Michael Greger is my mother. And so ah, I texted my mom um, before we started chatting. And I asked her, is there anything you want me to, to ask Michael Greger? So, oh my God, I love him. Um, but I said, is there any like anything that listeners will be able to benefit from that you want me to pass along to him? And she's curious, Is Colleen is curious, is inter intermittent fasting a good thing for weight loss? I know you cover that in the book as well. Yeah, so a whole chapter. So obviously, got to get mom the book for Christmas. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no. So in fact, um, if she's interested, I did a whole three-hour webinar on intermittent fasting for weight loss. In fact, I have nine hours on fasting in general: uh, three on intermittent fasting, three on fasting for chronic disease prevent, uh, reversal, and three on uh, fasting and cancer. Um, and now they're all uh, on the DVDs. So you can check out. Um, and just had a couple um, uh, videos up on the website about uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, the bottom line: so there's all sorts of ways different people do it. Um, I would not recommend alternate day fasting where people eat um, every other day mm. um, because it's been shown to not have any benefit in terms of accelerated weight loss or compliance or um, less lean body mass reduction um, and actually can increase your cholesterol. Significant increase in cholesterol on the longest, largest study done today. So that's no good. Um, but uh, what I would recommend is time-restricted feeding. So keeping your feeding window to under 12 hours every day and if you're not eating after 7 p.m., that means, you know, uh, you know, starting early and, uh, you know, not eating at night is the most important thing. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, narrowing the window, which is kind of a form of day-to-day um, intermittent fasting, you know, spreading that window, that nightly window in which your um, body's not taking in calories, um, has a beneficial metabolic effects. Beautiful. Man, it's, I, I love, um, I think there's an inverse relationship between the calorie density of what somebody eats and how they speak because you crammed so much <laughs> into this interview. <laughs> it's been right. fantastic. Word density. It's all about word density. That's right. It's all about word density with no, interviews. That's hilarious. Uh, nutritionfacts.org is where people can find all, uh, out about all these videos you make. There's no ads, there's no sponsorships on the website. Um, it's all, I can't even. Um, you know, I, I have to thank you, uh, Michael Greger, on behalf of myself, on behalf of my family, on behalf of so, so many people listening to this. I, I can't even imagine how many lives the work that nutritionfacts.org has saved in terms of the videos it puts out, in terms of the books that you've put out yourself, uh, How Not to Diet and How Not to Die. Um, we, we like to finish up on the podcast by asking a question of everybody that comes on uh, because we're all looking to become better at something in our life. Um, and the question, the final question that I have for you is what is one thing that you're working on becoming better at right now? Ah, sleep, sleep. sleep. Yeah, no. Um, so for the book, you know, I had to do a, book, a chapter on sleep because uh, you actually, um, uh, um, uh, you actually put on different amounts of body fat depending on how much sleep you get. Um, so basically, you snooze, you lose weight. Actually, um, uh, so yeah, it's actually it's actually beneficial, and of course, sleep is beneficial for a lot of ways. It's so depressing for me always to look at the sleep literature um, because you know there's more and more evidence that not getting sufficient sleep is bad for you, um, and uh, you know, but that's one of the ways I get so much done. I find I'm just not as productive when I'm unconscious. I don't know. It's just uh, uh, whatever. So. Um, uh, so that's something I really need to work on. It's going to be difficult on the road. I'm doing a 200-city book tour. Uh, I'm trying to cram it into 10 months. But uh, wow. but hopefully uh, flights will be such that I can sleep in a little bit. <laughs> um, and uh, when I sit down for the next book, hopefully I'll be able to get into a better um, daily routine. Um, uh, the next book is on longevity, how not to age. And there's wow. a much smaller literature than obesity. So... Um, I think I should have uh, my schedule should be such that I can take better care of myself. That's awesome. You know, we, we chatted uh, several episodes back about how can you find an expert that you can trust? And one surefire way is, is when somebody is open about when they're 
uh, when they struggle to, to follow the uh, their own advice that they give. Oh, and so it's, yeah. it's always helpful. Dr. Michael Greger, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So happy to help keep up the good work yourself. Finishing up, becomingbettershow.com is where you can find the corresponding blog article for this episode. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you in a couple Tuesdays. Oh, I am so glad. Oh, and uh, give, uh, give, uh, uh, give your mom love for me. <laughs> oh, she'll be so happy to hear that. <laughs> awesome. You know, that, that was the name. Colleen's name, my first girlfriend in kindergarten. Oh, was Colleen it Colleen Fuller, Bailey by any chance? <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, maybe. You never know. I could be your father. Uh, that would be a, a shift in, in life. <laughs> Chris, I, this, what, a, what a way to discover who your father is, asking right. him to interview for your podcast, and then that's how you find out. Boom. It's really like the modern Star Wars story, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs>